Lord, you wrote it, you teach it, let your spirit lead, guide, and direct in all ways and all things. This is all for you. Help us not to just hear it, not to just mark it or underline it, but to really take it and live it out in all that we say and all that we do. We say thank you for this in your name. Amen. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to finish up the second part here of First John 2, so that we'll be in good shape for First John 3 last week. Now, remember this book is written with this idea, with this concept of John. It's just as a loving book written to the church, the body of Christ, saying he wants us to grow and go deeper in our walk and relationship with the Lord. And as he's doing this, he's telling us, be wary of this, be careful about this, understand this. And as we went through it last week in verses 15 through 17, he's saying, don't love the world. We spend a lot of time talking about what that means, the world, that cosmos, that system that the world has set up. It doesn't mean you don't love the people. Obviously, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, same word, God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son. But we're not supposed to love this system. And as we talk about this system of the world that is falling apart and decaying, it takes us right into this concept of the end of the world. Because this world is really going downhill fast. That's exactly where John takes us here as we go through this. So read with me in verse 18. It says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you know, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that this is the last hour. So we're going to talk about a little bit of end times here. This idea of the last hour. I remember hearing uh, teaching years ago this idea of that every generation believes they're the last generation. Because if you didn't think you were the last generation, you wouldn't really think about this idea of Jesus Christ returning in end times. You would say, that's not going to happen for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. As long as I don't die a tragic death unexpectedly, I can be okay. But this idea that Jesus could return at any moment, at any time, spurs us on. And it reminds us that we need to be ready. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So if 2,000 years ago when John wrote this, it was the last hour, one commentator said, we've got to be down to the last minutes by now, you would think. This has got to be ticking away here. So he brings up this concept of the Antichrist. Now, my new King James has the Antichrist with a capital A, then it has the idea of little Antichrist with a little A. Got some stuff I want to show with this. I got a couple slides here just to remind you. If you weren't with us in our Revelation study, this is some information you can have. There's a lot of information here, but I just kind of want to hit this real quick. The word anti and the idea of Antichrist means in place of or against. So the Antichrist is trying to be in place of Christ. He wants to be God. And he's also against everything that Jesus stands for. So remember that, the Antichrist. Against Christ and trying to be in place of Christ. There is the Antichrist. One individual, raised up at end times, empowered by Satan, that is going to rule the world politically, economically, militarily, and spiritually. That's what's going to happen. And this is just a quick review of the Antichrist. And I know it's a lot of verses, and I had to make it small. Um, you know, I've been teaching out here for 21 years. Did you realize that? And I just thought, I looked at this, and it's like, James, why didn't you make two slides? I'll learn that in my 22nd year. Okay, so Antichrist. First thing you see there, empowered by Satan. Next one, he's going to persecute the saints. He has a holy hatred of whatever is God's. Just remember something very simple in the Bible. Whatever God loves, Satan hates. God loves Israel, so Satan hates Israel. God loves us, the body of Christ, so Satan hates us. God loves his word, so Satan hates it. Whatever God loves, Satan's going to hate. He's going to persecute the saints. He's going to blaspheme God to the point of that there's going to be a temple rebuilt and that in the Holy of Holies, the most holy spot there where God's presence dwelled in the Old Testament, he's going to go in and set up camp and say, I am God, worship me. He'll be a political power. 
He'll align himself with religious Babylon. We forget this a lot. But when the rapture happens in the church, the born-again believers are taken out, there's going to be a huge religious group of the world left. You jump to the Middle East, there's going to be a lot of Hindus and Buddhists that are left. You go to the other parts of the Middle East, there's going to be a lot of Muslims that are left. You go to many parts of the world, there's going to be a lot of world religious system left. We think sometimes that the rapture is just going to totally decimate the world. It's going to decimate certain countries, I hope. But there's going to be a lot of other countries where it may not be affected in much at all. So this religious system that is left, religious Babylon, he'll align himself with it. Revelation 13.3 is a really interesting verse. I encourage you to study that out later on tonight in your own devotional time. It looks like he's going to have some type of fake resurrection. Because once again, whatever Jesus does, Satan also likes to copy. And so Jesus had this miraculous resurrection. Well, it looks like the Antichrist is going to have his own fake resurrection with a question mark. He'll be in real power for about three and a half years. And I'm just going to include this. He's got a sidekick called the false prophet. This is all in the book of Revelation as well. False prophet points people to the worship of the Antichrist. He can perform miracles. That's in quotes because Satan uses deception. And he's the one that's behind the mark of the beast that you hear so much about. So when you see here in 1 John 2, verse 18, the Antichrist, big A, that is who we're talking about. An individual raised up end times and powered by Satan that will rule the world and then will ultimately be defeated and cast into hell. So he is a key character, and he's really only on the scene at the most seven years. But he plays a key part in end times. So John is telling the church in 18, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. But even now, there are many antichrists, little a's, little a's. Keep your hand here real quick. Just jump to Matthew, please. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Jesus here, when he's giving his teaching on end times in Matthew chapter 24, he mentions the little a antichrist. Please take note, Matthew 24. Let's pick it up in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So it's kind of fascinating that any time you see somebody stand up and say, I'm Jesus, and they're not, it makes you angry, it makes you upset, but do you realize they're fulfilling prophecy right in front of you? And this is something that's been going on for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, and we could just make a list of all the people that have claimed to be Jesus, and I don't encourage you to waste any time on this in any way whatsoever. But there's a whole Wikipedia page to people that are living now that claim to be Jesus. They are all over the world. They are fulfilling prophecy right in front of you. Matthew chapter 24, right there. And verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's happening right now. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Please remember when you watch the news, when you read the newspaper, and you hear of the wars and rumors of wars, don't be troubled. It's end times prophecy fulfilled right in front of you. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines which are happening, pestilences which are happening, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the sorrows. This is end times prophecy being filled right in front of us. This idea of the Antichrist is going to be a theme here of what John writes. You see him mention this again, same book, 1 John 4, verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. That meaning, that spirit of the Antichrist, that group, that people that are against who Jesus is and they want the glory of who Christ is. 
John also mentions this in 2 John 7 as well. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So please remember, you have the antichrist, one individual end times, but right now you have many antichrists, people with a little a, that are rising up and saying they're Jesus, which is fulfilled prophecy of what would happen in the end times, trying to pull people away from the, who the true Jesus Christ is. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, Satan does two things. He twists God's word and he just outright lies. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 44, that he is the father of lies. Same thing is happening right now. All these little false religions, cults, antichrists are popping up to twist the words of Jesus and to pull people away from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So now he's telling us, be careful. This is where we're at, and he's going to build on this point here. Any quick questions, comments, though, on the antichrist, big A, or the little A antichrist that we're talking about now here before we move on? We're good? Okay. So, let's continue on then. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. They looked good. They sounded good. They're not. I tell you, when I say this, don't take this the wrong way. There's some really good false teaching out there. When you listen to it, when you hear it, and you see it, it sounds good. They're quoting some verses. And that there's something in your spirit, though, that it stops and says, this just doesn't sound right. There was a fairly popular guy that someone highly recommended I get on and watch and listen to whenever. And I, so I was sitting at my desk, and so I started bringing up some of the messages of this guy. And I'm like, okay, this is, this, this is a little bit scary here. Sounds good. Looks good. But when you really start studying out what they're saying and what they're doing, it doesn't line up with the Scriptures. It doesn't. So how are we supposed to tell them? Because they start out with us, but they don't finish with us. How are we supposed to tell? Stay in the same book. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test them. Is what they're saying line up with the scriptures? Is what they're saying line up with the nature of Jesus? Are they bringing glory to themselves or are they bringing glory to God? Test them. See what it is because we can know this. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. If you're here tonight and you are saved, that means you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Just let it sink in for a second. God has chosen to take a dwelling place in you. Old Testament, tabernacle, temple, God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And one day a year, day of atonement, they were allowed to go in and have, if you will, a relationship with God. But that was only one person at one time. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom, which shows access to God. God has chosen to come live inside of you. So now you are a walking temple, a walking holy of holies. So the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So therefore, verse 20, you can know all things. What does that mean? means you can search these things out. You can stop and say, this, this doesn't line up with Scripture. This is not truth. The Holy Spirit, I can realize that this isn't right. Remember, there's three truths in the Bible. Holy Spirit is truth, God's Word is truth, and Jesus is truth. So when you start talking to someone or see a ministry or see a teacher or a pastor, and what they're saying does not line up with the Holy Spirit, does not line up with who Jesus is, and does not line up with Scriptures, run. That's not what you want to be around. The problem is, it sounds so good. And even though we have an anointing and we know all things, verse 20, to be quite honest, I don't think we put the time, energy, and effort in it to find out. 
And the enemy likes to use things, and he twists and he lies. Listen, you're going to run into this. People are going to show up at your door. They're going to have a Bible in their hand. And they're going to tell you that they believe in Jesus. And when you push them a little bit, you're going to find out they think that Jesus was the first created being and not God. Run from that. You're going to run into people that are going to believe that Jesus is the Savior. He died on the cross for our sins, but he's also the spiritual brother of Satan. That's the Mormons. First group are the Jehovah Witnesses. You know, when we go up to Dearborn and we go door to door and we do uh, witnessing to the Muslims up there, certain ones, when you go up there and you start talking to them and they say, you know, who are you? We find out they're Christians. First thing they say to stop the conversation is they say, oh, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. Did you know the Muslims love Jesus? Because Jesus is one of their prophets. They love him. And they just want to stop the conversation right there. Oh, you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Well, then I did not realize that we're completely in agreement. No, we have to dig deeper into this. We have to dig farther into this. And we have an anointing from the Holy One to know all things. And so, therefore, we study it out. We look at it because we really want to know who Jesus Christ is. Verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lies of the truth. So when I see a church or a ministry or a pastor or a person supposedly speaking truth that does not line up with the nature of Jesus, who the Holy Spirit is, or God's word, I know that that is a lie and not of the truth. 22, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is anti-Christ, who denies that the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This is something I run into now more and more often. People love the concept of God. They don't love the concept of Jesus. So when you start talking to them, they'll start saying something like this, that they believe in God. They like the idea of heaven. They believe in heaven. They like these things. But when it comes up with Jesus, they're just not a fan of the whole Jesus thing. You know, you can't have a relationship with God the Father unless you have a relationship with the Son. You can't. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me in John 14, verse 6. He said in John 8, this idea of this really deep point that when you stop and think about it, this concept of to know God, we have to know the Son. John 8, 19 says this, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would also know my Father. If you want to know God, then you need to know Jesus. So when you run into somebody who is great with the concept of God, but not Jesus, then they don't know God. Because you have to know Christ to know God. And that's why it's so important, verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. I've shared this story with you before, but it bears repeating when I first got saved. I would go out and just start talking to everybody. And the question I would ask them was, do you believe in God? Everybody said yes. I walked away thinking I was the world's greatest evangelist because everybody I spoke to obviously is saved. And then I started realizing, wait a second, that's not the question to ask. So do you believe in God? Okay, are you a Christian? And I still got a whole lot of people that would agree to that. I still thought I was the world's greatest evangelist. And I started realizing, wait a second. Now the conversation comes up, who is Jesus to you? That's what I really want to know. Who is Jesus to you? Because in verse 22... It's Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Listen, in this world we live in, it would be great if we could all get together, hold hands, and sing glorious songs to God. We can't. 
By believing in Jesus Christ, it separates us from the world. It truly does. Please remember what Christ said in the Gospels. Do not think I came to bring peace to the world, but a sword. Jesus said, I came to bring division. So when he comes, he says, you either believe me or you don't. You're either for me or against me. You're either with me or you're not. And this is exactly what 1 John is saying here. And one of the signs of the end times is the Antichrist but also the little a antichrist. And people denying who Jesus is, not having an understanding of who Jesus is, and therefore they do not have a relationship with the Father. And John is saying, you know the truth. You have the Holy Spirit. And you know this is wrong. And be aware of this. And be weary of this as well. Any quick questions, comments about this? Before we move on here and change directions here just a little bit. Alrighty. So since we know this, what are we supposed to do with it? 24. Therefore... Let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So basically it says, take what you've heard from the beginning and stay with it. Abide. Now, abide is not a word we use a lot. It's not. You know, if I want one of my kids to come up and, and sit with me, I don't say, oh, please come abide with me. I don't say that. I say, just, hey, jump up here. Hey, come sit with me. Hey, come snuggle with me. Do something like that. Abide is one of those Bible words. And it really just means stay as close as you can to Jesus. And that's really what it is. And that's why in John, he has this great teaching of abiding in Christ. This concept of just staying as close as you can to Jesus. It is a dangerous thing to start putting some distance between you and the Lord. Stay as close as you can to him in worship and in prayer and in service and in church and in the word and in evangelism. That's what you want to do is stay close. And that's what he's saying in verse 24. If you abide in what you've heard from the beginning, Jesus, you'll have the Son and you'll have the Father. What do I get out of abiding in Him? 25, and this is the promise that He has promised us. Eternal life. Eternal life. See, we always talk about this idea of believing in Jesus and living forever. We all live forever. But there's eternal life and there's eternal death. You know, in Matthew 25, it talks about everlasting punishment and also talks about everlasting life. If you really want to live forever, you have to abide in Christ. Stay close to Him. This is not some works-based religion. Don't take it that way. This is Jesus has so completely, utterly changed who I am. Why would I not want everything that he has to offer me? Why would I not want to be as close to him as I can in worship and in prayer and the word? Why would I not want to abide in him? If I really do believe that this is the end times, and I really do believe the Antichrist is coming, and there's a lot of little Antichrists running around, why would I not want to stick as close as I can to the truth? I think the thing is, imagine when you kids were little, when your kids are little and they're going to a place that they don't understand or they're a little nervous about, what do they do? They cling to you. They cling. And as they grow up and get a little older, what do they do? They quit clinging. They figured out this world. They have wisdom. They're the smartest you've ever seen. They're able to go out and do it on their own. And then what you have to do is you go from this parenting perspective of saying, hey, okay, let go. And then as they get older, you're like, hey, stay a little closer. I think the same thing happens to us spiritually. When we first get saved, we just want everything that Jesus has for us. We're not going to miss any church, any worship, any devotions, anything. And as we walk with the Lord for a while, to be quite honest, our walk with Christ kind of becomes the new normal. We don't find ourselves abiding as close as we used to. We've read the whole Bible. We've heard it all before. I've done this before. I've sang that song before. And then all of a sudden we go from just enjoying God's presence to all of a sudden become very critical of everything that goes on. 
And instead of just worshiping, we become music critics. Instead of just listening to the message and letting the Spirit lead, we become theologians. And instead of going there and witnessing, we just analyze how everybody else does it. And we lose the beauty of just abiding in Christ. And that's what he says to you. Stay close. And guess what you get out of it? 25, eternal life. And he says, I have to tell you these things, 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him who abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, it is true. It is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now, we have to talk about this idea of an anointing. That's kind of a fun little word today, isn't it? Because now when you listen to certain things, people get special anointings. You don't see that in the Bible, folks. You see an anointing that the Holy Spirit gives you. And the same Holy Spirit that wants to work in you, wants to work in me, that wants to work in this person, wants to work in that person. Just be very, very careful that we don't start adding to the Scriptures things that aren't in there. You do have an anointing, verse 27, and that anointing is this. Once again, if you are born again and saved in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come and lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's a beautiful, amazing thing. And it's saying here in verse 27 is, listen, I don't have to teach you this stuff because the Holy Spirit is what's going to teach you. Now, before you start thinking, then why am I here on a Wednesday night to hear you teach? Because I just confirmed right now I can sleep in every Sunday. I don't have to go to church on Wednesday because 1 John 2.27 says, well, just let me read it right out of the Bible. You do not need that anyone teach you. So I will never see you again. No. Let me make this abundantly clear. The Holy Spirit is your first teacher and the Holy Spirit is your best teacher. So before you read, you pray, Lord, give us wisdom. As you read and you come across a question, Lord, give me wisdom. I highly encourage you, if you're wanting into a question in the Bible, let the Holy Spirit get first shot at it. Lord, I don't get this. I'm not understanding this. Lead me, guide me, teach me. Sometimes I think we're too quick to jump to some human resource. Let the Holy Spirit do it. Now, let's say you are praying and you are sincerely seeking and looking and thinking, I'm not seeing this, so I'm not allowed to go to a teacher? No, because there is a gift of teaching that the Holy Spirit uses. The Holy Spirit is your first and your best teacher, but He's also allowed human teachers to have a role. But the human teacher should never trump the Holy Spirit. And what happens is sometimes people get so behind a man or a ministry or a church that that man, ministry, or church starts trumping the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is saying to them, be aware, red flag, this is scary. But they're putting more emphasis on the human teacher than they are the Holy Spirit. And you've got to be careful about that. And you also got to be careful that you don't take 27 and go to this point of egotism. Well, the Holy Spirit told me. Well, the Holy Spirit just told you something that's not biblical. No. You've got to be careful about that. We're going to go back now to this list of the false teachers. To the Jehovah Witnesses, to the Mormons that are going to tell you the Holy Spirit, this and that. It doesn't line up with Scripture. So therefore, it has to be wrong. Let God's Word be the final foundation of everything you believe. And if it does not line up with Scripture, run from that. That is a false teaching you need to be concerned about. I don't know who first said it, but the first person I heard say it was Greg Laurie. And he said this, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Now, just think that through. If it's new, it's not true. Meaning if someone comes and says they have a new revelation. Yeah, it's not true. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. 
The Lord has already revealed things, and now we're chewing on and chewing on. I told you this joke, this story before. There's been two times, two times when I've taught over the last 20 plus years that I've said something or taught something, and I thought, that's an original thought. And both times, that following week, I'm listening to the radio, and I hear a pastor teach that said the exact same thing that I said. My first thought is, how did he hear me teach it so quickly? And then he put it in his notes. No, because it's not new. The Holy Spirit's already moving and working. I go back and read some of these great men of faith from the last 100, 200 years ago, and what they're saying still resonates today. Because the Holy Spirit, it's amazing. So let's remember that. The Holy Spirit is your first and best teacher. Human teachers have a role, but they should never trump the Holy Spirit. And and don't forget the power that is in you. God dwells in you to lead you and guide you into all truth. That's amazing. So when you read the Bible, you're reading God's word, and God is in there whispering in your ear saying, let me help you understand this and see this and get this and grasp it. It's a beautiful, beautiful system that the Lord has set up. All right, before we finish up this chapter, any uh, quick questions, comments here about anything? John. Listen, it goes back to what we said at the beginning. If God says something is good, the enemy is going to do whatever he can to keep you from it. Church is something that the Lord said is good. And it's not just about coming for the teaching. It's everything. It's coming for the teaching. It's coming for the accountability. It's coming for the fellowship. It's coming for the worship. It's coming for the opportunities to serve. It's coming for the opportunity to serve somebody. When you walk through these doors, I hope you come into a church not only saying, okay, what are you going to give me? Make it good. Nah, it's not my job to entertain you. It's my job to equip you. If you're looking for entertainment, I cannot beat right now 740. Alex Trebek is on right now. I can't top Alex Trebek in Jeopardy. I can't. And so if you want entertainment, there's entertainment. I can equip you, though, but I can't entertain you. Now, I think it's fun and a joy to come together. But the problem is sometimes people come into church and they come, I'm just going to be honest with the critical spirit. Once again, they come in being a theologian. I'm just going to analyze every word that was said. They're going to come in as a music critic and analyze everything that is sung. They're going to come in just with the heart of, well, I don't like this, I don't like that. And they're going to treat it like a fast food restaurant. And if they don't like what we're serving, they'll just go to the church down the road. I can't stop that. But I hope you come in with the heart to say, Lord, I'm giving up an evening here. And Lord, I do want to just praise you because you're good. Lord, I do trust that your word doesn't return void. And Lord, I do want to look for an opportunity to serve. And Lord, I do want to come into this building to be blessed, but also look around at everybody else. Because it amazes me over the years how many times people have come in and said something to this effect of, uh, you know, you guys aren't friendly. And I'm thinking, that's, no, I know we're friendly. And they'll say, well, no one talked to me. And when I was a young pastor, I used to try to be really diplomatic. And now I'm not mean about it. I'm not. I'll say, did you go talk to anybody? Because you can also get up and go. You could sit and say, Lord, who am I supposed to go minister to? But we live in this mentality where we just want to be served. And really, we're supposed to come and be blessed to be equipped. I, I tell you, every Sunday, I pray Psalm over Psalm 122. It's a short little psalm. First verse, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Lord, I pray for a joy for me at church and a joy for them at church. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built, a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up. 
unity. Let us be unified. It's amazing how much critical talk there can be to cause disunity. The testimony of Israel. Let's talk about the law, God's word. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. Let's have a time of worship and thanks. For thrones are set there for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. Judgment. Yeah, let's get convicted a little bit while we're here. To say, maybe I needed to hear that. Maybe that's not what I wanted to hear, but I needed to hear that. So there's a blessing in the body of Christ in coming. And if God has called us to do it, then the enemy is going to call us to be away from it. You've got to remember that. There's a blessing in coming and hearing what the Lord has to say. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Yeah, Bethany. That's true. I, I, I've heard that point before as well. Bethany said that when people study, um, you know, fake currency, they don't study the fake currency, they study the real currency. So therefore, when they see a fake, they can say that's fake because they know so well what the real looks like, what the real looks like. And, and I think that goes for, once again, the Bible. And these are the examples I use all the time with that. Years ago, when people were going around with the Da Vinci Code saying Jesus was married, I don't have to study out the Da Vinci Code to see if Jesus was married. I know he's married. He's married to me. Because I'm the bride of Christ, and we can study that on some other time. A few years ago, when the billboards went up, and the guy said, Jesus is returning in May. I don't have to study out whether that guy's right or not, because the Bible already told me no one knows the day or the hour. See, when you know the truth, you don't have to worry about the fake. And that's what happens, is when you see the false teaching, you know Jesus so well, you stop and say, yeah, that, that's, that's not the nature of Jesus in the Bible. And that's what's hard is where people show up at your door or you talk to them at work and you don't know the Bible real well and they start quoting some verses, they start making some points and you walk away saying, sounds good. But does it back it up with the scripture? And then there's an anointing of the Holy Spirit to say, this isn't right. This isn't right. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Okay, let's finish this up. So now, since he's told us 18 through 23... Antichrist, big A, little A, Antichrist. But you have an anointing, you know truth. And then he told you 24 through 27, stay close to Jesus, be close to him. He says, why are we doing all this? Because 28, and now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, we're not going to get into this a lot tonight because this actually takes us into chapter 3. Remember, there were no verses or chapter breaks when the Bible was written. It was supposed to be one continuous thought. So 28 and 29 really connect more to chapter 3. But we need to talk about this. 28, we need to be walking it and abiding and living it because 28, Jesus is coming back. And we need to have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I've told you the story of a friend that I used to have that used to wear a shirt that said, Look busy, Jesus is coming. This idea that you never know when he's returning. And that should spur us on in purity and thought and deed and action. It really should. And I've joked with you guys before. If you guys ever come over to my house and you say, Hey, we're coming over at 4 o'clock, my house will be clean at 359. Because that's when you're supposed to come. I'm ready for you when you come. I'm not saying the house will be ready at noon, 1, 2, or 3, but it will be ready at 359. If we knew the day, the hour, when Jesus was going to return, it would change how we live. And not in a good way. There is supposed to be an urgent expectancy of Christ could return at any moment. So therefore, the fear of the Lord and the good fear of the Lord. If you haven't been with us on our Sunday morning studies through Proverbs, we're talking about a good fear of the Lord. That fear of the Lord spurs us on to say, I don't want to sin. Because I fear God. 
I want to be pure because I fear God. I don't want to be lazy because I fear God. I don't want to be complacent because I fear God. And I know he's returning, and I don't want to be ashamed at his coming. And I want to talk about this. I've got one more slide to show here real quick. Dustin, can you go to the next one? Real quick reminder, second coming versus rapture. We're talking about the return of Jesus and the rapture on the right side there. Christ meets us in the air. Christ returns to take us home. We go home with Christ. That's at the beginning of the tribulation period. The second coming on the left side there, that is at the end of the tribulation. Christ literally steps foot on the earth. He returns on the Mount of Olives and he splits the mountain and creates a river that goes down to the Dead Sea and turns the Dead Sea alive. It's pretty cool. Christ returns to reign for a thousand years and then we return with Christ. I think it's good to always bring this up just as a reminder of the second coming versus the rapture. The rapture, we don't know when that's going to happen. As far as we can tell, all prophecies have been fulfilled for that to happen. And now it's just a matter of waiting. That's why John said at the beginning of our study, it's the last hour. They have been waiting for Jesus to return, and we're waiting for Jesus to return as well. That spurs us on. So just take that teaching point and let the Holy Spirit lead you in that. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it kind of kicks you up a notch and says, I'm getting lazy. I don't want to. Maybe it makes you stop and think, wait a second. I'm devoting way too much time to building my little kingdom on this earth. When it could be all gone just like that in a second. I want to be building a kingdom for eternity. I always want to be focused on that. And then that drives me in verse 29 to be righteous. Remember, righteous means just to be right. That he is righteous. You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born to him. So therefore, since Jesus is righteous, I now want to go live like him. I want to practice righteousness as well. And we're going to get into that more next week. Is that idea of what does it mean to practice righteousness. doesn't mean we're perfect. But what does it mean to go out there and say, I really want to represent Jesus and how I live and how I act. You've heard me say this so many times out here before. We're supposed to be saved out of the world. But yet, why is it as Christians do we talk like the world, we dress like the world, we act like the world. We're entertained by the same things the world is entertained. There's supposed to be a righteousness in how we live and how we act. And Christ has called us to that and that's what we want to live for. So we're going to stop a little early tonight and stop right there because once we get into chapter 3, it gets into some stuff that we won't have time to finish here in the final minutes. But we're going to close with this. Anybody got any final questions, comments about anything here before we uh, close up? Yeah, Cindy. So October 27th. We'll do this. That's October 27th, hard anniversary, and I appreciate what Cindy is doing there, stopping and praying, because you know, for Cindy to be blessed with her new heart, there's a family that suffered loss. And so we need to pray for the God of comfort to be with them and um, need opportunity there to really pray for them and represent Jesus. We'll do. Kenny.
So we need to pray for Jason, Jesse, Craig, and Robin. We'll do. We'll do. All right. Hey, why don't we go ahead and close here with a word of prayer then. Lord, as we just come to you, thank you for the time tonight to be here. And um, Lord, as we live in these end times, give us a wisdom. That anointing that you spoke about, that we may know truth, seek truth, and live out truth and always say and do. Lord, we just want to stop right now. We just want to pray, as Cindy mentioned, for just the family there of uh, that suffered loss, for her to be blessed. We just pray the God of comfort to be with them in all ways and all things, and especially coming up here next month on the 27th. And Kenny just wanting to pray for Craig and Robin and Jason and Jesse, your hand to be upon them in all ways and all things, and we want to give that to you. But for right here, right now, help us, Lord, to live for you, to abide in you, and we say thank you in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week. God bless.